Hi, it's Ken White. And this is Josh Barrow, and this is Serious Trouble. Uh, So, Ken, we've been wondering for a while how much we're going to see in terms of the documents that were underlying the search that was executed on Mar-a-Lago, on the former president's residence. And toward the end of last week, we got to see a version of the affidavit underlying the search. Now, when you seek a search warrant, uh, you file a document with the court and basically say, here are the reasons why we think that there is evidence of a crime in this particular location. Uh, And then the court may issue a search warrant and uh, the, the search warrant has to be given to the subject of the search, but the warrant affidavit does not have to be. It's ordinarily sealed until there is an indictment. Uh, and so in this case, there has been intense interest in the, uh, the reason for this search that was executed on Mar-a-Lago. Uh, and we had uh, Magistrate Judge Reinhardt agree to release a redacted version of the warrant affidavit. But there are quite a few redactions. Uh, there's a lot of the pages of this thing are basically just a bunch of black bars. Uh, and so, Ken, what did we learn when we've seen at least a portion of this affidavit explaining why the FBI was allowed to go look around Mar-a-Lago and take certain boxes of documents. Well, Josh, we really learned more about what led up to the further investigation rather than the investigation itself. So first of all, I wanted to note, it's it's worth pointing out that the Department of Justice could have appealed this, could have dragged this out for a few weeks by objecting to uh, the magistrate's uh, order directing that this be unsealed and released in this redacted form. And they didn't. So they, they don't think that this information is terribly harmful. It's also worth noting, I think, that Magistrate Reinhardt acted very quickly. There was unusually little delay in this whole process of uh, him getting the proposed redactions, approving them, ordering them released, and them getting released, kind of lightning fast. But in terms of of the the body of the affidavit, it's about 30 pages long, not terribly unusual for a somewhat complicated search warrant affidavit. A lot of it is redacted. I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of two-thirds of it is redacted, the good stuff. (laughs) Uh, But what we see is what led up to this as a criminal investigation of retaining documents. It made clear that what happened was that there was an ongoing dialogue between the National Archives and Team Trump, and that at some point during that, in about January of this year, Trump returned about 15 boxes of documents. And in those 15 boxes of documents were a large number of documents marked as secret or confidential or top secret and some with other special designations. And that set off alarm bells within the National Archives. They referred it to the FBI. And what happens after that is an ongoing dialogue, part of which is clearly trying to determine whether Trump's team is telling the truth about what they still have and what their excuses are for not turning more over. So you see things like uh, references to attorney letters from Team Trump that they even quote and attach to the affidavit, in part, I think, to show that they're not hiding anything from the judge who's making the probable cause determination. They're saying, here, look, look at their arguments if you want. We still think we have probable cause. And in part, I think, because Trump's arguments go to establishing the necessary wrongful mental state on the part of Team Trump, that they know exactly what they're doing and they are willfully holding back documents that they've been directed to return. So where it starts getting heavily redacted is the whole section that's talking about how once that dialogue began, where they were demanding the return of more documents and trying to verify what Trump still did or didn't have, 
that part and the sources of information they have about what's still there, the ongoing conversations, and clearly whatever inside witnesses they have, all that is blocked out. That is consistent with what they say in their now mostly unsealed motion to seal the affidavit, where they explain that they're protecting things like their sources, their investigation techniques, uh, the identity of people who are suspected of but not yet formally accused of a crime, uh, and all the normal things that they show. So does this tell us more about the government's motivations here in pursuing this investigation? Because I think sort of broadly there are I can think of three categories of reasons why the government would be upset about Donald Trump continuing to possess these documents that he was not supposed to possess. The first set of reasons has to do with the Presidential Records Act and basically that there are historical and policy reasons why certain government documents created during the Trump administration should remain in the possession of the government, uh, and that the former president sought to contravene that by taking these documents with him down to Florida. And I think that's sort of the of the three reasons that's the least compelling one to most people in terms of whether it's really worth executing a search warrant on the former president's home, pursuing a criminal investigation in order to obtain the return of the documents. The second set of reasons has to do with some of these documents being marked classified, even though the specific statutes, as we've discussed, uh, that they say they are investigating under do not technically rely on the documents being classified, being currently classified, which makes some of the arguments about whether they were declassified less important than they otherwise might be. But anyway, there's this idea that some of these documents might be particularly sensitive. We know that there's a, a parallel parallel uh, threat assessment ongoing about you know whether there was damage to national security, about the fact that these documents were there. There was a news cycle a few weeks back about the idea that some of these documents contain information about our nuclear programs, although, of course, it's very easy to imagine nuclear documents that would be highly sensitive or that would be trivially sensitive. But anyway, so the second set of concerns would be about that it's a danger to national security that these documents were at Mar-a-Lago, potentially compromised outside of the appropriate controls for sensitive material. And then the third set of reasons has to do with the idea that the, the president or his representatives lied to the government about the return of these documents, that they made representations about they didn't have more of these documents when in fact they did. And the government has a general interest in discouraging the obstruction of justice and in prosecuting that. Uh, and so you could have a third set of reasons. It's basically about, you know, that if the president had been broadly cooperative, one thing that the, the supporters of the former president point out, I, I think, more or less accurately, is that a lot of violations in this neighborhood do not tend to be prosecuted. Hillary Clinton was never prosecuted for her mishandling uh, of classified information in, in her emails. Uh, but one of the factors there was the cooperative nature of the Hillary Clinton team into that investigation. And so you could have basically that whatever the underlying conduct was, the fact that the former president and his associates uh, were not cooperative, maybe even obstructed justice, that would be a, a third reason for the government to take concern about these documents. All of that's a long way of saying, does this affidavit, what we see of it, does it tell us anything about the relative importance of those three reasons why the government would be looking for these documents? Yes, it does. So it doesn't suggest that merely the fact that he took them out of the White House in the first place is the reason that they're going this far. In other words, the, the fait accompli when he's returning the 15 boxes of documents, that's a tiny part of the affidavit, and it clearly kicks off the investigation of what happens after. Uh, however, the structure of it does suggest that a large part of it are concerns that he is still retaining documents after he has purported to turn them over and that there's some obstruction going on. That's just from the structure of the affidavit and how much of it, where it's redacted. 
So, uh, you know, for instance, like you said, the statutes that are being investigated here, the wrongful uh, concealment or retention of government documents, the Espionage Act, and the, the obstruction statute, they don't require that these things be classified. Uh, but the, the affidavit does note that this is a potential issue. And I, I think what it seems to be doing is emphasizing that when the Trump team was previously talking to the government, it never said boo about this theory that Trump can, you know, put his hands to his temples and hum, and now the documents are unclassified, <laughs> uh, like Professor X or something. Uh, so they never made that excuse before. It seems largely structured in a way to set up an argument that once the investigation began, that the Trump team affirmatively obstructed and lied. We don't really know the details because that's the part that's the most heavily redacted. The secrecy, the classification level of the documents does matter to some extent. We've been throwing around a lot the idea that it doesn't matter whether they're classified. And over at the Lawfare blog, an article by Katie Kadian, who is actually the former head of the counterintelligence section of the Department of Justice, made the point that even though documents don't have to be classified to uh, be the subject of an Espionage Act prosecution, practically speaking, there does have to be some level of effort towards their secrecy. The, the government just can't have handed them out. You have to show something, and if not formal classification, at least formal steps towards maintaining the secrecy and, and of uh, national defense information. So, you know, all that is important. What we're seeing here, though, is is the government's more traditional technique that we've talked about in the past in the context of the Mueller investigations of, you know, seeing if we can't get someone for an underlying substantive crime, let's see if we can get them for lying to us. Josh, you kind of put it as uh, the government has a interest in pursuing obstruction and policing people lying to the government. I think that's a somewhat deferential to the government way of putting it puts the cart a little before the horse, because I think it's fairly clear that historically the Department of Justice has run investigations in the way of anticipating that response will be a lie or obstruction and using that as a channel of prosecution uh, when substantive prosecution doesn't work out. And it's entirely consistent. That may be what they're doing here. What was derided during the Mueller investigation is a process crime focus. But so isn't that a lot to infer from this? I mean, certainly I, I, I can see inferring that they had various interactions with Trump and his attorneys where they anticipated that Trump or his attorneys might respond by obstructing justice. I find the idea that you would pursue a criminal prosecution of the former president merely for obstruction of justice and not bring any substantive indictments, I think that would just be politically untenable. If that's their plan here, I don't think it's a very good plan. And it also seems like, I mean, you know, he was in possession of these documents. And while he has this galaxy brain theory that his lawyer has been putting out that he declassified them in his own mind, aren't they likely to be on fairly good ground to show that he knowingly possessed documents that had not in fact been declassified? Either they could charge crimes that are not listed on the search warrant uh, that are related to the listed crimes, or they could charge things like the Espionage Act, and they would be able to make the showings that you described there, that there was an effort to keep these documents secret. I mean, because presumably, if they are classified and they're marked classified, and the only evidence of their declassification is a belated statement from the former president that he 
thought sometime before he left office that, you know, in his mind, he declassified these documents. You would still have all sorts of other ordinary efforts that the government takes around classified documents that wouldn't that satisfy the the need to show that there was an effort to keep these documents secret? I think so. But bear in mind that the thrust here may not be only let's get an indictment against Donald Trump himself. There are other people involved in this in Trump's circle. And the way the government always goes at things is let's see who we can flip. So if they can first take down people for obstruction and then flip them against Trump, which granted is what we've been talking about people trying to do for the last six years, uh, that may be part of it. But you can't underestimate the extent to which the government seize the opportunity to rattle people's cages and generate so-called process crimes in the course of investigating something. I agree with you that it would be probably politically untenable to make it a pure obstruction of justice prosecution, that they wouldn't summon the political will we've talked about to go after Trump just for that. But I don't think you can discount the centrality of that in the idea of pursuing a group of people towards an eventual end. I don't even understand what it would mean to flip them here. It doesn't appear to be the case that there's some really sophisticated conspiracy where you would need a lot of testimony from other participants in the conspiracy. I mean, it's, you know, they it's these bankers boxes full of documents that they that they moved in like a U-Haul truck. I'm trying to figure out what I mean, unless, you know, unless the theory was that the purpose for which Donald Trump kept these documents was that he was selling them to the Chinese or some other thing for which we have no obvious public evidence yet, then I could see where that would. But I I don't think that's what happened. Um, And so I'm I'm trying to imagine what it, you know, what it would be that you would even flip these people on. Well, you could flip them on something like saying, you know, we said the archives once wanted them back and Trump said, I don't care. These are mine. Screw those people. Words to that effect. That would make the willfulness showing more easy. The, the mental state showing is more easy on the statutes in question. Josh, remember that we're dealing with federal prosecutors who are risk averse and like stupidly strong cases as opposed to cases that you and I might think are good enough to go to trial on. So particularly when they're taking a gigantic political risk like they are here, they're going to look for how can we make this as easy as possible and as, you know, politically plausible as possible. But what you're describing to me sounds more politically risky rather than less. Well, if you mean if it's going strictly on obstruction of justice, yes. But if you mean that they're trying to develop the evidence to make the espionage act or the uh, unlawful retention of documents charges stronger, more bulletproof against Trump, then no. I don't buy it. I don't buy it because this is not this is not a normal criminal organization. This is not the, the, the incentive set here where the view in Trump world is basically that this is all a bunch of technical violations and who cares if he kept these documents and, you know, it's his letters from Kim Jong-un and he, you know, he he likes them and whatever. I don't think that with some threat of an obstruction charge, you're going to get some valuable cooperating witness out of this in a way that that at all changes the way that this stuff plays politically. It has to you have to be it, it just doesn't it, it doesn't make sense. What you're describing is a recipe for an absolute political disaster. Well, um, it would not be the first time that the DOJ has made a bad choice about something like that. So and, you know, remember institutional capture. It's hard for them to think outside the box and think outside the way that they 
normally pursue cases. But you're right. You said earlier we're speculating. We are speculating to some extent. At some point, we will likely see the most of the affidavit with maybe the specific contents and, and identity of some of the documents still redacted for security reasons, and we'll find out. Uh, but what's clear here is that there's an ongoing criminal investigation. It's not just about retrieving the documents and that the investigation appears largely focused on what happened after an initial period of cooperation where Trump returned 15 boxes. I'd like to encourage you listeners, by the way, there's a comment thread associated with this episode. You can go to SeriousTrouble.show, and we'd love to have you weigh in on these issues, what you make of the political impacts of this investigation as we start to learn more about what exactly the government might have been looking for and why, and what their theory might be of, of exactly what they think that they are likely to prosecute here. Again, you can go to SeriousTrouble.show, and uh, we have a very uh, uh, smart community there that uh, we'd love to have you, you join that conversation. So in terms of more detail about what's in, in those boxes, there's, there's an order from Judge Eileen Cannon for the government to produce a more detailed inventory of what was in the boxes. And, and that order arises out of a lawsuit uh, that the former president's attorneys filed last week, a sort of bizarrely argued lawsuit that didn't really address exactly what relief they were seeking and what the legal theories were behind it. And in fact, Judge Cannon issued this very brief order basically saying, can you try again and explain exactly what it is you want and what your legal argument is for why you want it? Uh, and so the, the president's attorneys filed a, a supplemental filing on Friday of last week with more of that information, uh, still a, a little bit thin in terms of exactly what it's arguing for, um, among other things, says that the fact that the government took Donald Trump's passports and, and then returned them constitutes an admission uh, that this search was overbroad. And so this, you know, the, the primary thing that we've been talking about this lawsuit from the Trump's attorneys seeking is that they, they want an appointment of a special master. And Judge Cannon said that she's, you know, preliminarily inclined to order the appointment of a special master. She asked for a response from the government, asked for certain additional information. And the one thing that she really ordered the government to do at this point, because although it's an order, mostly what it's getting the, the former president is a hearing. Um, but she did tell the government to provide a more detailed list of what was seized. She didn't specify the manner in which it should be more detailed. Um, and also asked them to describe what the status is of the review of those documents, what they've gone through, who they've shown what to, that sort of thing. And so first of all, I guess let, let's start with that more detailed inventory, because a lot of people on Twitter People who are not fans of the former president are quite upset about this order from Judge Cannon, basically saying, well, how can she order this before the government's even responded? It's next party order. The one thing that's really been substantively ordered here is for the government to produce that list. Is that surprising? I mean, the, the more inventory is maybe a little surprising, but it, it, the order is doesn't really say much specifically about that. And it seems to be in the context of determining what type of privilege review, what type of special master review might be appropriate. Let's put this in context, okay? So the original lawsuit is a train wreck. Uh, it's it's barely distinguishable as a lawsuit versus a motion. It's not doesn't seem to be clear in and of itself which it's supposed to be. It doesn't fulfill the requirements of either. And we talked about that last time. The next thing that happened, this this initial order from the judge, it's hard to exaggerate how embarrassing this order would be to just about any lawyer, let alone a team that has two former assistant U.S. attorneys who are reputable lawyers. This is a humiliating, humiliating order from this judge that basically says, what the fuck are you talking about? Can you please explain? 
here's some very basic things that any pleading, any lawyer would submit would have that you don't have. Explain to me what you're talking about. This is not a kind thing. This is not a pro-Trump thing for the judge to do. It is, in, to the contrary, a strong signal the judge thought the original pleading was completely idiotic. They file this supplement. The supplement is not that good. It sort of addresses the judge's questions, although absolutely not at the level of quality of research or writing that you would expect for the most important case in the United States right now about a former president with two extremely prominent former federal prosecutors handling it. It's, it's a piece of junk. And then over the weekend, the judge issues this order and people flipped out over this, Josh, as you observed, people were saying, oh, my God, this is a, a Trump appointee judge. She's in the tank for Trump. You know, they haven't even served the Department of Justice properly. Uh, why is she doing this to show she's going to, you know, give everything to Trump? You know, maybe, but probably not. Sometimes federal judges just get kind of fed up with procedural niceties and just want to cut to the chase. OK, because she could have said, yeah, you haven't served this right, serve it right. And it's a very embarrassing they didn't serve it right, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Or you still haven't explained things. But she just she's just like, you know, let's just cut to the chase. I know what you want. You want a special master. I'm inclined to give one, but I need to know this stuff. And uh, crucially, uh, she says that she wants to know, well, what's the status of the review of the documents? So a lot of this order seems designed to fish for the response for the Justice Department. Well, actually, Judge, we're already done with that. And in fact, that's more or less what we've gotten. Uh, there was a filing from the government uh, on Monday morning responding to the judge's order uh, and saying, you know, we're, we're going to have more detailed responses, including the uh, the more detailed uh, receipt for property on the timeline that you ordered, Judge. But uh, just FYI, uh, we've completed our review of a set of documents. We identified a set of documents that were potentially attorney-client privileged uh, and the privilege review review team, which is a fancy term for the taint team. They've completed that review, and then we're going to go through the process for any challenges around privilege. So I guess, first of all, does that suggest that the idea of, of a special master is moot now, that the thing that the special master would have done, the, the taint team's already taken care of that? Yeah, it is, I think, largely moot. And again, this is why I didn't have the catastrophe reaction to this judge's order that a lot of people did, uh, because I think the judge is the judge is a former AUSA. The judge knows what's going on. If the judge were, as some people seem to fear, in the tank for Trump, she certainly would have put in that preliminary order, stop everything until we have this hearing. Mm -hmm. uh, and she conspicuously did not. And this was the natural and probable consequence. Uh, the government saying, actually, were already done. The initial team already separated out potentially privileged information. And the taint team, which we can't call a taint team anymore. We call it a privilege review team. Ugh. Guys, that's actually my bad. Something happened in 1997. Long story. Anyway, um, <laughs> has already reviewed this stuff. And we're in the process of doing what the process and the warrant says. So they're more or less saying, and you can tell by the lack of outrage or histrionics or table beating in this government response. If the government had thought this judge were doing something outrageous in the tank for Trump, you would see it in this response. And there's nothing like that. Very calm, just, oh, yeah, judge, we're just going along the, the exact procedure that was approved in the warrant. Here's the story. That's it. This says that they completed a review for attorney-client privilege. Uh, yes. But 
Trump has been also asserting executive privilege, which doesn't make any sense because the entity seeking these documents is the executive branch. Uh, and also because the executive privilege, to the extent it exists, would belong to President Biden. And we've seen documents about how they've they've determined that, you know, to the extent there are any executive privilege assertions, they're waiving them. This happened you know, months ago in the context of communications with the National Archive. But so I assume at some point, does the judge basically have to say, have to issue an order saying, what are you talking about? There is no executive privilege concern here because what the what the government filed here addresses any attorney-client privilege issues. But presumably, if there were executive privilege attaching to these documents, it would be a lot more likely to attach to the relevant documents than attorney-client privilege would be, which again would have to be from the president's own personal attorneys rather than uh, attorneys uh, for, the, for the United States government. So I assume the relief that the Trump team wants is about executive privilege. Is Judge Cannon at some point going to basically have to issue another order saying – is this in English? I don't understand. No. Well, that's the thing. It's not 100% clear, even from the supplemental Trump filing, what they want. I'm not sure they've decided yet how far they think they can get and what they can get. As you say, the executive privilege argument is sheer nonsense on numerous legal levels. And there's nothing in the judge's weekend order that suggests that she supports it. Because again, she didn't stop them from completing the review. So I suspect what's going to happen is that the government's going to file its response on Tuesday the 30th. Uh, the Trump team is going to file their reply 24 hours later. Good luck to them with that. And uh, the judge is going to have a hearing. On Thursday. This The process shows the Trump team engaging in a lot of very overheated rhetoric and the government responding without rising to the bait for the most part. And that's probably the smart way for them to play it. Meanwhile, I just have to point out, you know, as an actual criminal defense practitioner, the former president is continuing to be himself and uh, undermine potential criminal defenses related to this on Truth Social. For instance, when he uh, wrote something saying it's outrageous they would do this when much of the documents were returned, or words <laughs> to that effect, uh, you know, which is much exactly- Much was returned, yes. Much was returned, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's kind of like saying, <laughs> why aren't you talking about all the kids I didn't traffic? Or, you know, it's, it, it, it's, uh, yeah. it's just not good, it's just not good defense. What about the more detailed receipt for property, which Judge Cannon ordered the, the government to produce and which they say they're going to produce? Are we likely to learn anything interesting from that? Are we going to see that? We're not. It's, I think they're going to file it. That's the end of this week's free episode of Serious Trouble. There is a longer version for paying subscribers with another 22 minutes in which Ken and I discuss what's actually going to be on that detailed property receipt that Judge Eileen Cannon has ordered the government to produce. We'll talk about Trump's apparent strategy of delaying these proceedings and how Judge Cannon might actually be undermining that strategy by acting so quickly on Trump's requests. We talk about Cash Patel, a uh, loyal aide uh, to Donald Trump, and why he should be relieved to see his name unredacted in the search warrant affidavit. And we talk about Ben Shapiro's defamation threat letter against a news outlet that said he got some PPP loans, which actually went to other businesses and some other guy named Ben Shapiro. Plus, we have a bonus outtake for you, a uh, little Taint Team discussion for the Taint Team super fans out there that we had to cut because uh, we got a court filing in the middle of taping, had to go back and did not circle back around into the Taint Team in the way that we had hoped, but a uh, little bonus for you. 
To hear that whole episode and to hear every single full episode of the show, you can go to SeriousTrouble.show for $6 a month or $60 a year. You can become a paying subscriber. You will get every full episode approximately once a week. You'll also be able to join our comment threads and our delightful community. So again, I encourage you, go there to SeriousTrouble.show and become a paying subscriber. And thank you for listening this week. Thank you.